Hello, my name is Reverend Seth Nelson, and I am the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Ronan, Montana. Join in weekly to hear the good news of God's love proclaimed over your life. You can follow us on Podbean and iTunes. God bless you this day. Our gospel lesson for this morning comes from Mark, the 10th chapter. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then, in the house of the disciples, or in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Here ends our gospel lesson. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've uh, preached on our passage for this week before and focused on how Christian interpreters of Jesus' words over the centuries, um, uh, Jesus' words on marriage and divorce, have missed the true meanings over the centuries by taking little heed to the context in which Jesus was speaking. Now, a simple recap. In Jesus' day, the decision to marry was not usually mutual, and thereby the decision to divorce was not mutual either. These days, especially when looking disapprovingly on romantic relationships going sour, we like to say, it takes two to tango. Anybody ever heard that before? Anybody ever actually tangoed? <laughs> Gordon's tango. So we got one. I've never done the tango. <laughs> it takes two to tango, right? Well, it really didn't take two to tango back then. Marriage decisions were primarily reserved for men to make. So when Jesus rebukes his audience for divorcing, he was really just rebuking the men or dismissing their wives willy-nilly, forcing them into poverty and destitution, 
simply because they desired to sow their oats somewhere else, as the Roman men were so fond of doing. In Mark's version, Jesus also condemns wives for divorcing their husbands, but nevertheless, this was usually a sin committed by husbands and not wives back then. What's more, men were permitted to work, to own lands, to hold titles, all sorts of economic activity, whereas women were prohibited from all of these activities which are necessary for survival. Therefore, the decision by a husband to divorce his wife was not at all equal to the decision of a wife to divorce her husband. Now, all throughout the history of Christianity, this passage and its partners in other Gospels have been interpreted literally and rigidly to, divorce, uh, to mean that divorce is a sin and should never be permitted by the church. This interpretation led to some, of, of, uh, some very famous annulments in marriage trials, literally, as well as the beheading of wives in the case of King Henry VIII in England, who simply wanted to divorce Catherine of Aragon and try again for a male heir. Now, Henry VIII did not have good intentions when he sought to divorce from Catherine, but it can reasonably be argued that the consequences of the hard and fast stance of the Roman Catholic Church leading to the Church of England breaking with Rome, as well as several of his wives getting executed along the way, was far worse than if the Catholic Church of his day just let the guy divorce and move on with things, right? In our present time, there are still congregations and denominations that do not allow for separation or divorce, even when a husband beats his wife and children. In these instances, their interpretations of Jesus' rebukes against divorce become sinful in a different way because they harm the families that I believe Jesus intended to protect by saying these words thousands of years ago. Context matters to our interpretation of the Bible. And when the context changes, our interpretations must change, lest we run the risk of sinning in new ways. Now, I do not really want to focus on marriages and divorces this week so much as to take a few steps back and reflect upon what Jesus might be saying to us about relationships and community in general this week. After all, I think the reasons that most of us have any concerns with other people's relationships is that when other couples and families stay together, it has implications for how our wider communities are able to remain united uh, even when we have differences between us. Also, when other couples and families experience separation or divorce, it is concerning that our communities might uh, suffer similar fracture beyond the respective marriages and families involved. 
we hear from Jesus a strong desire for unity and commitment. Hearkening back to the creation story in Genesis, Jesus says that we were formed for relationship with one another. In our essence, we are relational beings who are not meant to be alone. Where I lived in Namibia and South Africa, as well as a few other nations on the African continent, I am sure, they have a philosophy of human existence that was made famous by uh, and elevated and articulated by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And the philosophy is called Ubuntu. Ubuntu is often translated to literally mean, I am because you are. It is the idea that we only exist in, through, and by our relationships with other people. It's basically the opposite of Rene Descartes' famous dictum of modern European philosophy. Um, I assume you guys didn't study as much philosophy as I did in college, but, uh, but you might recognize, uh, they call it the cogito, which is, I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. In which Descartes articulated that our existence is verified and confirmed in our own minds, right? Just we are thinking people, and um, because we can think, we know, we are reassured that we exist, right? But no, in Southern Africa, they have believed for centuries that we do not exist in and unto ourselves, but instead our existences are dependent upon one another. I exist because you exist, and, uh, and you exist because I exist, and so on and so forth. Because I see you and relate to you, I know that I also exist. And because you see and relate to me, you can be reassured that you are alive and well. Similarly, Jesus says that from the formation of the world, we are beings formed to help and support one another. This happens in marriages, sure, at least hopefully. But more than that, it is part of our essential created nature that was formed by God when the heavens and the earth were first molded. As much as we may see ourselves as solitary creatures who don't need anything from anybody, Scripture challenges us to be honest about the fact that we do, in fact, need one another. We are made to help our friends when they are down. We are created to cook for one another when somebody in the family is sick. We exist to help others get around where they need to need to go when walking gets hard. We are here to help our friends find jobs and keep their lives on, tracks, on, on track. And we live to help one another in whatever ways we reasonably can. We are made to look out for each other. And when we do, we are following in the path that God has laid before us. I have been saddened lately to see how easy it has become for our communities and our country to fracture and how difficult it has become for us to come together. 
The most divisive and resentful voices among us are lifted up as somehow being righteous for finally saying what needs to be said in the minds of those who agree, even though these voices result in fracturing relationships, community, and any sense of unity with those whom they disagree. Compromising voices, on the other hand, that seek to calm things down and get people working together again, are typically demonized as cowardly, weak, or unprincipled. When in truth, those voices are the ones trying to bring unity, cohesion, and goodwill between people. It has been frustrating for me to watch all of the petty resentments and meanness just seem to take over. I expect that many of you have felt it too and shared in that frustration. Yet, though this is the way that we have made for ourselves, this is not the way of God. God did not form us to separate from and attack one another, but instead made us to live and work together in mutual support with those around us. We exist together in this world to be there for others when they need us, and they exist to be there for us when we need them. The journey of life is meant to be shared, and God created us as just the right people to share it. We live this out here on Friday at Vi Harris's service when there was a line of, out the door of people who came to show their love and support for Herb and Stacy and the rest of the family. We experience our formational calling when we pray for one another's well-being, bring food to those going through cancer treatments, or simply visit others to make sure that they are doing okay to remind them that they are not alone. We live into our relational nature when we make sure that children are supported and loved, friends and family are doing well. And even when we make sure that strangers have somebody to talk to if they need help. We do all of this in accordance with the will of God, who formed our ancestors long ago to build one another up in mutual love and support, never separating or being put asunder. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I hope that you've enjoyed this week's sermon podcast. If you would like to hear more, read my blog, or get a copy of my book, called The Church Unknown, go to www.revsethnelson.com. If you feel called to support our ministry, I invite you to go to our church's website at flcronan.org and click on the Offerings tab. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.